electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Market Moving Insight and Analysis. Join Jim Cramer, David Faber, and me, Carl Quintanilla, on the opening bell hour of CNBC Squawk on the Street. Good Friday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with David Faber, Mike Santoli, coming to you live from separate locations. Cramer is going to join us in a bit. Futures had been under some pressure on concerns uh, that China will pass security legislation on Hong Kong, but we have improved. Uh, in part after Dr. Fauci made some positive comments on Moderna's vaccine data. Oil uh, did fall below 31, 10 years back to 66 basis points. Uh, watch for thin trade today ahead of the long weekend, Mike, as once again we're sort of asking what's it going to take for the bulls to put a three-handle on the S&P. Um, you know, there is that saying there's no such thing as a triple top. Yep. Uh, that's in play. The fact that there's basically no such thing generally uh, as a market that kind of repeatedly uh, tests that upside ceiling and doesn't punch through. Um, you know, I, I think you would look below the surface and say, what would cause this move to stop, aside from the fact that we are all looking at uh, what are acknowledged to be some resistance levels, the 200-day uh, moving average, just some exhaustion technical signals out there. But the leadership stocks don't really give much back, uh, the big growth stocks. You're seeing a lot of comeback in the most you know, cyclically attuned stocks that have been uh, at the center of this uh, economic crisis. And um, it seems like sentiment is, while you can see some, um, some speculative froth, perhaps, in the put call numbers and some of the day trading data in general, it doesn't seem as if people are overcommitted to equities right now. So that leaves you with the question of what would stop the move, not necessarily what would, uh, would keep it going. There'd be no injustice if this market fell, you know, 5 or 10% for some reason, but it just isn't showing you the signs. Aside from some maybe some wear and tear on the market breadth numbers, that it's going to do that because valuations and the current macro data, you know, the market's just saying that's not relevant, at least in the immediate moment, guys. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then, David, we continue to monitor sort of the state of reopening with more incremental evidence that this is working at least uh, somewhat satisfactorily as our own parent, uh, Universal, is now targeting uh, early June for a reopening of Universal Orlando. Yeah, which would be an important milestone, of course, and also points to Disney's potential opening as well. We know Shanghai opened for them, but uh, those parks, such an important component of, of Disney's overall earnings uh, and not uh, not unimportant for our parent company, though less so, certainly. And we're watching closely. We're waiting and watching to see if infection rates or hospitalization rates in any of these states that are open after a number of weeks start to rise immeasurably so far. Things look to be fairly good. And, of course, there are other states that are still waiting to get the go-ahead, as you know, Carl, so that we can all fully participate in the economy once again, or at least to the extent that people are willing to. But that does get back to the overall question as to what things will look like even when we have a return to openness, so to speak, and what segment of the population will choose not to participate simply because they feel like they are still too much at risk given the fact that we do not have a vaccine, certainly, or even any really early therapeutics that can be used to uh, ameliorate the effects of the virus should somebody get it. 
Yeah, uh, Cowan does some pretty good uh, consumer trackers, uh, David. They ask people, uh, would you feel more confident going to venues that have officially reopened? They ask them every two weeks. And the latest numbers that just came out, incrementally, uh, the last three surveys have shown consumers are a little bit less confident in things like retail, concert venues. There was a slight uptick this morning in whether or not they would feel comfortable sending kids back to school. Um, but that's, that's going to remain a question. And, you know, Micah gets back to this issue of states like Georgia. Things reopen. Um, unemployment, uh, jobless claims continue to tick higher, which raises a concern that maybe it's not the lockdown itself. It's the closure of the businesses uh, structurally that are going to face uh, a difficult sled. As um, if, you're, if, you, if you have employees and consumers in tight quarters, uh, is, is the relief of the lockdown going to be the solution? Yeah, I think it's, a, it's going to be a key question uh, as we get to the point when the formal legal lockdowns are eased and what's going to be satisfactory for the market in terms of when you're going from zero to something, the market can seize on that and said the direction of change is positive. But where does it settle out? I mean, I know there's also some uh, information on the mobility data that it's sort of flattened out after a comeback of people getting out and around more. I, I look at a, a basket of entertain, entertain, entertainment and leisure stocks. That's uh, PEJ is uh, is the sector ETF and it's restaurants, it's hotels, it's some media with some, you know, movie theater type uh, exposure. It went from 45 down to 20 and now it's back to 29. So it's regained 40 percent of what was lost in a month. So that doesn't tell you that the market is is immediately jumping to the point that says we're back to normal. But how much is going to be enough? I mean, when these theme parks open, David, what's capacity? What, what percentage of capacity is going to be satisfactory on a financial basis to kind of keep the story moving forward that the economy is is reawakening and is trending toward normal? That's a big question. It is. And I mean, it's funny, of course, Bob Chapek, the CEO, still new CEO of Disney during their conference call, I guess a couple of weeks ago at this point, I can't recall if it was last week or the week prior when Disney reported earnings, Mike talked about 20, 30 percent capacity and sort of ramping up from there. And then part of it will de- depend on demand. I, again, I come back to Tillman Fertitta, uh, his different restaurants under the Landry's brand, the Mastro's brand um, uh, and a number of others. Um, saying it's not about capacity in the restaurant or changing tables or spacing things out. It's just about not enough people showing up. And so that will continue to be one question. Guys, there is another part of this, though, which comes back to spending. You know, many people have been made, if they were able to access unemployment benefits, the additional benefits that are available, of course, as a result of the CARES Act, have been made largely whole. And so spending has not come down as much. It may have shifted But overall, when you look at the credit card spending and a number of other things, a lot of people will tell you it hasn't really changed as much as they might have anticipated. And in fact, Mike, there is a contention that some of the money is going into the stock market, believe it or not, and that retail investors have been fairly active in certain names, perhaps as a result of being flush. I know, hard to imagine that will change at the end of July when it does appear unlikely that at least this this additional benefit for the full 600 bucks will be extended. But it's, uh, it, it's certainly in place right now. For sure. I mean, if you think about maybe they, people consider that a reallocation of the entertainment budget. And I know it was a subset of the data in terms of what people <laughs> did with their stimulus checks uh, that that had to do with, um, you know, what what bank transfer activity, where it went and opening brokerage. You've seen a massive spike in, in new brokerage account openings. 
And you've definitely seen daily average uh, trades at a lot of the online brokers go vertical. Now, the thing is, it coincided with all of the uh, industry players going to zero commissions. So it's not necessarily clean data that says at the moment of the shutdown, this is when it all started. But there's no doubt that that level of, uh, of, of retail activity has, has picked up the question how you interpret that. Uh, you know, traditionally right. and say, well, these are right. inexperienced players. They're just going to kind of run into a buzzsaw. On the other hand, I mean, I know Tobias uh, Lefkovich over at City, kind of doing the devil's advocate bull case, said, look, if a new generation comes in and provides a bid to this market, um, they're not scarred by the previous losses. Maybe that's, uh, you know, a factor of uh, a flow toward equities that I that we didn't anticipate. So uh, we can argue argue over that one. But you see it in individual stocks for sure. No, you do. Yeah. And Carl, no, I mean, another st- unanticipated consequence of the virus and something that we may perhaps in no way and, and uh, expected would be, as, as, my, as Mike just said, broader participation in the stock market. Again, we'll see how long it lasts. And by the way, when the casinos fully open up, perhaps people will choose to go in that route again instead of actually just trading uh, day trading or doing yeah. whatever it is they're doing with their accounts. No, I saw some pictures of the Hard Rock uh, Seminole today where the poker tables have a wait of 100 people uh, waiting to get and sit down uh, to, the pl- to the plexiglass. Guys, we've been talking a lot about how the election would creep in as um, potential risk to the markets. And in fact, the vice president, uh, Joe Biden, was on Squawk earlier this morning. The headline really was that he would take corporate taxes back to 28. But he did talk about health care and uh, Amazon, cap gains and what he makes of the stock market bounce. The vast majority of American people are suffering right now. They don't measure their public health, their physical uh, security and their economic stability based on the market. All right. So um, I guess this is where it sort of begins. I think it's really his first high profile appearance, David, at least on our network. And we're going to start to have to fold that into uh, risk premium. Yeah. Uh, and of course, he did answer or at least was asked the, the questions involving corporate tax rate. We heard his comments as well. If people were watching at all on Amazon and the fact that he believes the company needs to pay taxes, given how much uh, in profits it makes. Of course, Amazon traditionally has had an extraordinarily low tax rate, as many of our viewers may know. They are very aggressive in sort of seeking out always legally, but seeking out uh, opportunities to lower their tax bill wherever possible. Uh, Carl, it's going to, yeah, it's the beginning, as you say, of, of sort of some focus, at least, on the potential changes that a Biden administration would bring in and what the impact would be on corporate America, certainly. Uh, and, you know, 28 percent is not where we were. And there are those who still question whether or not the enormous tax cut that was passed and the addition to the deficit that came along with it was worth it. Did it generate enough jobs? Of course, now so many jobs, of course, have gone 10 years worth. But uh, did it generate enough jobs at the time? That continues to be uh, a question and one that will certainly be uh, discussed at length, one would expect, in this shortened campaign season that we seem to find ourselves with now. Right, right. And we'll see if it's a virtual campaign on both sides as well. Then you fold in China, guys, uh, this morning, uh, these concerns that the National People's Congress is going to result in some kind of security legislation. Some call it a power grab on the part of China over the Hong Kong legislature. For more on that, we're going to get to Yunus Yun in Beijing. Hi, Yunus. 
Hi, Carl. Well, it's exactly that. Uh, Hong Kong activist Joshua Wong has been accusing uh, Beijing of attempting to silence the city with a new national security legislation, and he's calling for um, for protests across the city. Uh, now, uh, this is all because uh, China's leaders today had tabled a proposal of new legislation at the National People's Congress here in Beijing that uh, essentially, uh, from China's perspective, is meant to uh, protect what Chinese officials have been describing as a defenseless city. Uh, the new legislation would tackle secession, subversion, terrorism, foreign interference. It would set up Beijing-backed intelligence agencies in the city and, quote, improve the one country, two systems style of governance, which up till now has allowed Hong Kong to more or less run its own affairs since Hong Kong was handed over from the UK to back to China. Now, uh, the Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, has issued a statement condemning what he says the U.S. believes is unilateral action on the part of China that um, is disastrous, he said, and would be the death knell of Hong Kong's autonomy. Uh, Hong Kong lawmakers, uh, pro-democracy ones, of course, have also been describing this as a turning point or an end of Hong Kong as we know it, because their fear is that uh, this uh, new package of legislation, which is likely to go through um, in a week at the end of the National People's Congress, that this would uh, mean that the rule of law here will be totally undermined and that Hong Kong's uh, position as a global financial center would also be uh, breached. So uh, there's a lot of concern about this. Clearly, it was playing out in the stock markets today. The Hong Kong markets dropped by 5%. What I thought was also interesting is that Real estate stocks dropped by 10% because of the fears that people, as well as money, are going to leave the city. Guys? I would have huge implications all around the world, Eunice. Uh, thanks for that. We'll talk to you later on, uh, Eunice Yoon in Beijing today on the China News. A lot of earnings to get to. We'll uh, talk about NVIDIA and Alibaba. We'll say, tell you what Fauci said about Moderna's data, Foot Locker, and a lot more as we... Uh, Get ready for this long weekend. Futures are pretty steady. We're back in a moment. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Squawk on the Street. A lot of focus this week on the company Moderna and its potential vaccine, still in early phase trials for treating COVID-19. Let's get to Meg Terrell now, who's got more for us on the story, including uh, Anthony Fauci weighing in. Meg. That's right, David. People were waiting to hear from Dr. Fauci on the Moderna data because NIAID, his agency at the NIH, is the government partner on that vaccine. And also because he's been the main communicator of the data we've seen so far. Remember, he was the person to report the first data on remdesivir. Well, this morning he went into some more details about what he's seeing in the Moderna data so far on NPR. Here's what he said. Having looked at the data myself, it is really quite promising in the sense of that in the phase one study, which is the first step towards the development of a vaccine through its multiple phases, the vaccine induced 
what we call neutralizing antibodies uh, as opposed to just binding antibodies. And neutralizing antibodies are antibodies that actually can block the virus. And they did it at a relatively high titer, I mean, even better than we thought. Hmm. Uh, and it, they did it at a, at a moderate dose of the vaccine. So that's the reason why we thought it would be good news. And guys, he did say he was going to submit that, or NIAID was going to submit those data to a peer-reviewed journal soon, so the world should get to see them in more detail, which everybody is waiting for. And meanwhile, now thoughts are turning to how these vaccines are going to be tested to prove efficacy in big trials. And there is one concept that's been floated that's controversial. It's one known as human challenge trials, where people are actually exposed to the live virus in order to test vaccines' efficacy. Now, some of the pros on this, they advocate that uh, this could speed up vaccine development potentially by months and that it does enable testing even if the outbreaks subside by the time the vaccines are ready to be tested. It would be done in young, healthy, and low-risk volunteers. But on the con side, and this is something that Dr. Fauci pointed out in the journal Science, along with Dr. Collins from the NIH, there is still the risk of severe disease or even death from this, even though they are young and healthy folks who are volunteering. There's no great rescue therapy despite remdesivir. It's not a silver bullet. And also that it just may not predict efficacy in the most vulnerable groups, vulnerable groups like the elderly. Still, more than 24,000 volunteers have signed up to potentially participate in these trials through a group called One Day Sooner from more than 100 countries. And this is not an unprecedented idea, though it is controversial. They've done this with flu studies, for example. Uh, and the place where uh, people were isolated, they referred to as hotel influenza, guys. So we'll have to see how this shakes out. Back over to you. Wow. Yeah, I was not aware of that, Meg, that people are that many people are willing to volunteer. You know, we've talked so much about a vaccine, Meg, but there are so many different efforts underway to find these antivirals that could be taken potentially very early uh, in infection, if not even prophylactically. Those may be available sooner, perhaps. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm talking to a couple of companies. I know you certainly are keeping close track of this, Regeneron's efforts and many others. Where does that stand versus a vaccine in your mind? So uh, the antibody approach that Regeneron and other companies are working on uh, is moving along quickly. Regeneron has said they plan to be in human clinical trials with their antibody approach in June. And you're right, that could be a double-barreled approach to both potentially treating the disease and also potentially preventing it. Uh, so this could move fairly quickly, and we'll have to watch those trials as they start to enroll and as they progress. Um, but that is moving faster than a vaccine for sure. In terms of the antiviral approach, which would be more like a pill, that you could take, that does seem like it's taking longer. Companies are scouring their drug libraries to try to find good compounds, but that will probably be a longer term uh, approach to this. Right. So a lot of different things to keep track of, and we appreciate having you doing it all for us, Meg. Thank you. Thank you. Meg Terrell. Carl, send it over to you. We'll take a... All right, David. Yeah, we'll take a quick break here. A lot of names to get to. Uh, hope to check in with Jim at some point during the hour to talk about NVIDIA's print last night. Big implications for gaming and data centers. So stick around. The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. 
With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been helping great investors like you. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking for tips, Yahoo Finance makes it super easy by putting all the tools and data you need in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and more. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. That's how Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you take a look at your wealth in its entirety. That big-picture perspective is what great investors need. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. Memorial Day weekend's just ahead. A lot of discussion about uh, who's going to be driving, gas prices, but crude has given back some of its gains from the week, currently down about 3%. We're back in just a minute. Welcome back. As you see, of course, we're going to do a mad dash. Why? Well, because it is seemingly an impossibility for Jim Cramer to take even one day off. Even one vacation day before a long weekend is something he simply can't find it in himself to do. And so let's talk some NVIDIA, a stock that you have loved for a very long time and been quite rewarded for as well, Jim. Reported earnings after the bell. They were remarkable, David. It was remarkable. I searched for sports analogies. It's not Michael Jordan because he retired a couple times, actually. Maybe Ted Williams during that year that he hit 400. I, 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 an Olympian, Usain Bolt. I mean, this thing had everything in it. But the main thing you need to know is that the Ampere, their new, their new uh, GPU, is basically the most exciting chip for, for writers. And they are then going to use their core base uh, GPUs as the engine of the Internet. It is behind all inference, all the inference that you hear, whether it be the uh, – anything that's recommended to you. you ever see anything like you go to Amazon and, it's, and you buy something and then something else is prompt, that's him. If you find a movie that you like and another movie is prompt, that's them. These guys have got it. But it's just as a side lady, just at one point he's just talking about curing COVID with the chip because it's the chip that the scientists want. Uh, trying to figure out uh, how to be able to I keep talking. You remember I talk about this idea of, 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 of artificial intelligence where yeah. it can infer your thinking. Boom. That's what it is. It's not of this world, David. It's just not of this world. It's, it's not the 386 to the 486. It's something bigger, and I'm trying to grasp it. Understood. And, I mean, it, it goes far beyond the data center and, as you say, the AI it, uh, for things like COVID. But gaming, again, something that has boomed for a long time and only been enhanced by this current stay-at-home period, Jim, their ability to provide these graphics that are unlike anything you've seen is also fueling the business as well. Exactly. And, and they make it so that when you look at a video game, you can't tell the difference between a video game character and a movie character. 
But Jensen doesn't want to stop there. You know, he wants to make it so you can't tell the difference between a video game character and yourself. Uh, he, he, you can suggest to some of these ships, look, I want a beachscape. I want a beautiful beachscape. Uh, I want it to look like, but I still want it to be like Man A. Uh, I, I, I throw in some Renoir just for some, uh, a little French impressions. And, and it, it, it creates the picture you want, that you talk to it. I mean, it's not of this world, and Jensen is of this world. He's a regular person, but we are not able to comprehend a lot of things that he thinks about. There was a moment on the conference call, David, where someone had the audacity to ask about OPEX, about operation expenses, but he apologized because it's just too awkward to talk about the mundane things that analysts want to talk about when Jensen is on a jag, as he was last night till 7 o'clock Eastern. He just couldn't stop. He's there. He's yeah. there. He's not well, at Jim, all. Jim, what about the stock? What, a, what about the stock itself, though? I mean, a 38 percent revenue growth. But there are those who would argue, well, that is reflected in the stock price, of course, which has been nothing short of a, a rocket ship for for some time, at least since kind of that period in 18 where they had uh, some troubles. Seems like a, not as long ago. But, you know, is well, it currently valued at a level that you still feel is cheap? Yeah, I remember when, when Intel went from 386 to 46, and it, the stock would go up every day. You'd say, like, what the heck's going on? We well, realized that the world had adopted the 46. He actually talks, by the way, in the conference call, how the, the only other sea change we've ever had was the, uh, was the Intel 86 microprocessor and then the ARM pro, uh, processor that was built with the 380, with a, with an 86 component. Uh, he's beyond that now. He's saying this new architecture has got a trillion dollar total addressable market. Trillion. Uh, from all the different things that can be used. I mean, do you know that this Oxford project that 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 is competing against Moderna? That's powered by that's powered by Nvidia. It is. It's, it's the reason why everyone's so excited about it. You can make so many computations. No, it can't make any computations. Nvidia makes the computations. I, I want everyone to read this pop. All right, just read. You'll know why I'm. I forgot the beach and don't give a darn about it because of Nvidia. Definitely one of the highlights of the week, Jim. Obviously, uh, we've been waiting for it, and uh, what a print last night. There's the opening bell. Uh, While we have you, Jim, can we uh, just take a little more of your day off and ask you whether or not you think uh, stocks are tired, having tried three times to get past 2980? No, they're not tired. What I think you see is a lot of, remember, there are a lot of algorithms set to Fauci Moderna. There's, there's algorithms probably set to May. I mean, it's crazy. Anytime you get anything positive, it still does matter. Uh, I, I know that that the Biden comments are viewed as, uh, well, okay, we see what you know, their rich people are kind of are, are going to get hit. That I think the people who are, um, that's not enthusiastic, but not ill-advised. There's more people who don't own stocks than do. But I think David says something that's very important, which is that there's so many people who play at home. And it looks like they're playing like Grand Theft Auto, but they're also playing uh, NASDAQ. Uh, they're, they're playing <laughs> Call of Duty, but they're also saying Call of NVIDIA. And, and those people are home, and they're watching, and they're saying, hey, did I just heard Fauci say buy Moderna. I mean, that's, that's kind of like saying, you know, Blue Horseshoe. I mean, it's gotten to that point. There's a lot of people at home who want to play. But I don't think things – I think things are okay. I, I just – I do think they're going to – I think things are okay. I think that when we got that unemployment number yesterday and things did not collapse, 
I, you saw again that the stock market has nothing to do with the economy. It doesn't. You can't have 40 million people unemployed and have this thing that we're watching have, have any rationality other than the fact that the companies that we're trading are not American companies that are related to whether you're going to go to the movies or go out to eat. And they're not related to small business. They have nothing to do with small business at all. David, I've been thinking so much about what you said yesterday about at what point does the unemployment bleed into this in the stock market? And the answer is is that those unemployed people work at companies that you're never going to know uh, lived, and you'll never know that they died. And that's who we have to worry about. But they're not involved with yeah. the stocks that we trade. They're not. They're not they may not be, but eventually, eventually they're spending. Jim, eventually their spending creeps into things. I mean, one would think if you're a client of Microsoft and you're, you know, uh, or a client of any of these companies that are doing particularly well, you'd still think those companies that rely on consumers spending might ultimately be impacted if that spending does start to finally decline as a reflection of a continued extraordinarily high unemployment rate. The banks. It's the banks. That's who you should watch because that's the that's the really the intersection because that's the credit card. That's when the stimulus ends and people can't pay. That's the forbearance. That's the how many months can you go without paying rent. That's where we have to watch. I think uh, the battleground for this, for this stock market, if you had to distill a stock market, it's not an NVIDIA, it's Wells Fargo. Because that's like the most people and most small businesses who are in jeopardy. And secondarily, I watch, I watch American Express. Those are two stocks that might actually reflect the real economy now that even the cruise ships don't. Now that even travel and leisure, people are talking about flying. But those two stocks are uh, measures of credit. And what you're talking about, David, is if the, if the public runs out of credit. And if that happens, we're going to have a rude awakening. And if it does, you know, then you start getting into a drop in the Miller world. We're not there, though, because right now the, right. everything's being kept aloft by the Treasury, by the Fed, by unemployment benefits, by Congress, another, doing another $3 trillion stimulus. They're, you're keeping aloft the credit card owner. Uh, because the credit card person doesn't have, who's been laid off doesn't want to pay that bill, and you're keeping aloft all the all the REITs uh, that we know are in jeopardy, which is just gigantic part of the economy. So that's what has to happen. J.P. Morgan, Wells Fargo, City, Bank of America, put them on your screen. They're going to tell you more about what's going to happen than anything else. Indeed, Jim. Uh, financials right now down about a third of a percent. Uh, enjoy the long weekend. We miss you. Uh, we'll see you next week. Um, uh, Jim Cramer joining you, us on thank, the phone. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, David. Thank you, Carl. Thank you, Jensen Wong. We'll see you later. Bye-bye. You know, Mike, I, I do want to sort of piggyback on Jim's point about banks because it seems like every Fed official, yeah. almost to a name, has taken negative rates off the table, you know, BOE's comments this week notwithstanding. As David points out, credit card spending's held in there. We kind of know why. Now we got McConnell and Mnuchin suggesting we will need another fifth stimulus bill. Should they be doing better, the banks? You know, yes, negative rates are taken off the table as much as the Fed officials are able to do it in the market's mind, but it's zero for the foreseeable, right? So zero indefinitely is not good as a baseline. For the banks, then you see the way the bond market trades, Um, you know, 10 year Treasury yields backing up again down toward, you know, the mid to low 6.6 area. So it just seems a general environment here. And and really, to Jim's point, 
you know, we've basically given everybody permission to skip payments. It's actually a public service uh, at this point. And so somewhere there's a loss accumulating in this economy. And, you know, the banks are kind of or the credit card companies are kind of on the hook for it. I watched, you know, Capital One and Discover. If I, I kept saying if people thought this was going to be an off to the races recovery and really quick, then those stocks would be rallying more than they are. They're very, very uh, far underwater. So I don't know if they should be higher. I could see a case where this general rotation into value, into anti-momentum stocks, if that were to get uh, rolling, yes, that would probably carry the banks along with it. But also the banks are kind of the instrument of this whole uh, kind of support uh, policy that we have out there. And it's not clear that that's necessarily a boon right now, kind of piggybacking on the banking infrastructure. Uh, By the way, capital markets, as David and I talk about a lot, been screaming. I mean, really hot on the issuance side, the trading side. You know, that should cause some um, some sort of relative performance among the, the kind of New York type banks. But J.P. Morgan, it's back to where it traded three years ago. Citi's back to where it traded like nine years ago. So uh, it's obviously not really gaining a lot of uh, gaining a lot of traction in terms of people thinking that uh, that it's a quick hit for uh, for that industry, at least. Yeah. Well, Mike, another thing is that just the constant murmurings, as unlikely as it may be, and as much as Jerome Powell has no interest in it, of negative interest rates and whether the bond market might somehow take us there at some point, certainly that would not be good for the banks. No, it wouldn't. And and even this, even the chatter of, well, should they really slow down to stop their dividends? Is that a way you could create a capital buffer? Um, I think that's not helpful. I I really do think, though, the negative interest rates is really just the, the market's way of saying, look, if the two-year Treasury note is at 0.15, there's not a lot of room between 0.15 and zero for all the stuff between two years and overnight. I mean, I think that's a you know that's kind of a simplistic way of looking at it. But just the way you would project out the probabilities would get you somewhere dipping into negative because who knows what's going to happen in the world. Uh, and if the ten-year goes down to 0.2 in some disaster scenario. Well, is that going to imply that the Fed's going to be forced towards negative? I don't know if that's true, but I, I think it's really more of a byproduct of the overall rate structure as opposed to an affirmative prediction by people in the market that we're going negative. Mm, yeah. mm-hmm. Speaking of banks, uh, David, uh, one former banking executive has a pretty uh, uh, specific view on Twitter this morning. Blankfine tweets, hospitals are not overwhelmed. Most of us will be exposed anyway since we can't sequester until there's a vaccine. And we know which groups need protection from worst outcomes. Is the public health benefit from broad lockdowns at this point worth such extreme damage to livelihoods? It's an echo of what Lloyd has said in recent days. But uh, I don't need to tell you, David, there's an increasingly large school of thought that is tracking exactly with what Lloyd's saying. Yeah, I mean, Ricky Sandler, the hedge fund manager, joined us yesterday uh, with his point of view that is somewhat similar, I would argue, to what you're hearing from Mr. Blankfein, although perhaps going even further, calling for herd immunity and young people to go to concerts. And also, I thought, and I didn't come back at him on this and perhaps should have kind of almost implying, not implying, saying that he thinks that certain governors and states are actually trying to stay closed to hurt Trump's reelection uh, chances. But to your point, Carl, this is a, a, a larger and larger uh, cohort of people who say, hey, we can't keep doing this for very much longer. We've got to open up. Those who are at risk will have to just not be a part of this economy. But once again, that's not an unimportant or uh, that's not a uh, insignificant amount of people. 
and who don't who also have an enormous amount of spending power. You pointed that out, Carl. Uh, and so, yep. you know, one yep. wonders when they make these calls, how many people really will show up even when we do fully open up. Agreed. Uh, and you know what? This weekend is going to be a good um, sort of uh, case study, at least on aviation. I got some numbers out of TSA uh, posted um, pass throughs for yesterday's traffic. Three hundred and eighteen thousand. It's down 88 percent year on year, Mike, but it's up 88 K from the day before. So, uh, you yeah. know, Memorial Day long weekend is going to be an excuse to fly. And we'll see just how robust uh, appetite is to get on an airplane where and there's the whole debate about HEPA filters and how many air changes per hour on a plane versus the risk you take actually getting through the terminal. But, I mean, we're watching um, psychology, social psychology in real time, and it's playing out their economic activity. For sure. And, you know, the market has seized on all those things that are, you know, we're down 95 percent. Now they're only down 80 percent. Uh, whether you look at restaurant reservations, it's a somewhat similar story in various cities. Uh, again, I, I wonder just exactly how long that's going to be effective to support this story that the reopening is going to happen perhaps sooner and more smoothly than we previously thought. Um, but it, yeah, it is a little bit of a, of a real world experiment. Um, and what the equilibrium is that we ultimately reach before perhaps a vaccine, I think, is, is what we don't know. Uh, but the market's willing to bet that it's going to just progress in a direction of more activity than less. And it'll be weeks or months before anything adverse happens that undermines that idea that we're going to be doing more. And I mean, at least that's, to me, the bet that is now cautiously being placed across uh, parts of the market. Uh, guys, we focused on, uh, on NVIDIA with Jim earlier, of course, one of the key stocks. Another one that we're watching this morning that reported earnings is Alibaba. They had the conference call as well. Uh, the numbers look good. The stock you will see, though, is down. And that may be in part because of what Eunice was talking about earlier in the show. Uh, in Hong Kong, remember, Alibaba also listed there. And, of course, the continued concerns about the rising tensions between China and the U.S. But as for the numbers... Uh, total revenue was up 22.3% year over year. That was above consensus. Total EBITDA, that's no depreciation in there, uh, was about 16% above the consensus numbers. Again, they had better revenue, uh, higher core commerce, um, EBITDA margins as well. Uh, and their guidance uh, implied at least a 30% year over year growth rate. Again, that was higher than many of the analysts who follow Alibaba had anticipated. But that's not adding up to a higher stock price, as you see this morning. Uh, they did comment on that uh, latest bill that we were discussing yesterday that can, would conceivably delist some Chinese companies if they had foreign ownership or if they did not prove otherwise. Uh, Alibaba says it's closely monitoring the development of this bill. They think it's important for investors to understand practice and issues raised under this proposed legislation. And they go on to say that their financial statements are prepared in accordance with U.S. GAAP, that they have been an SEC filer since 2014. They hold themselves to the highest standards, trans, uh, standards of transparency. But, Carl, that doesn't mean that uh, there isn't a lot of focus and concern about those continued tensions and what it would really mean if you saw a bill like this actually passed. Yeah, our, our thoughts are uh, definitely with uh, the people of Hong Kong. I mean, you and I know several uh, it's been a tough year already, and we hope it doesn't get any worse. Uh, we'll watch the markets here on this final day in which the NYSE is trading remotely or virtually. Let's get to Bob Pisani. Hey, Bob. 
Yeah, looking forward to that uh, on Tuesday, uh, Carl. Uh, we're pressing 3,000 and just having a lot of trouble with that. That's right where the 200-day moving average is for the S&P 500, uh, just having a lot of trouble with that. But I am very optimistic about the broadening of the market because that trend has continued this week. Just take a look at the sector leaders today. Bank stocks up uh, today, one of the very few, but the Russell is uh, uh, outperforming on a relative basis. Industrials, retail, these are the ones that are part of that broadening of the market story. Energy's underperforming because uh, oil's down. And there's that FXI. That's the big China uh, ETF. A lot of these China ETFs down 3 4 and 5%. Of course, you heard Eunice Yoon, very serious things going on in Hong Kong. Hang Seng down 5.5%. That was like the worst day in, what, five years or so since 2015. You put that up there. And you can see some of these real estate stocks that are trading over in Hong Kong. These are all big real estate companies. Uh, they're all down. Obviously, a lot of concerns about potential for capital flight. Keep an eye on other things like Chinese banks. The FXI is about one-third China banks. So a lot of potential implications, very serious things going on there. These new national securities laws being proposed and maybe even China abandoning that growth target is an issue there. Uh, people have been asking me, gee, how come our markets aren't down? Uh, we've been talking about the big four bucket of things that moves the market here, the reopening uh, going smoothly or not, the monetary and fiscal stimulus, treatment of vaccine, and the trade war with China as a potential issue uh, or not. I think uh, overall, the market's telling us the reopening, the fiscal stimulus and the treatment is sort of the top issues. Fauci was, of course, talking about being more confident on the vaccine. The big story this week is that broadening. You see the stuff that's been left behind, pulling ahead, transports, the Russell 2000, the equal weight S&P 500, outperforming the S&P 500, and the NASDAQ 100, the tech and the fangs underperforming this week. That's what I mean when I say broadening of the market. If you look at the individual sectors for the week, banks up almost 10 percent, industrials, energy, Retail outperforming there, and of course, uh, healthcare underperforming. That was a market leader. This is rotation and broadening of the market. Finally, I want to know IPO market still going on. We had a very successful IPO yesterday with Select Quote. Nasdaq's got one today. Inari, which is a big medical device maker for removing blood clots, and they upsize this twice. So this is going to open uh, quite well this morning here. And there's other stuff sitting out there, guys. Uh, we're still waiting. I've been waiting for a while for Al Albertsons, for example, sitting out there. Anticipate that'll happen. Uh, Warner Music Group, potentially. Zoom Info Technologies. Vroom. Uh, Carl, the IPO market uh, potentially going to be opening up very, very soon. Back to you. Yeah, it was good to see Select Quote yesterday, Bob. Well, I'll see you in a bit, uh, Bob Pisani. Yeah. Early okay. close for bonds today. Let's get to Rick Santelli as well. Hey, Rick. Hi, Carl. Yes, you know, the Treasury market continues to focus on a lot of issues, obviously issuance, but also the level of the equity markets and, and the growing chorus you heard Mr. Blank find today gives a whole new meaning to heard on the street. And if we look at a one week of two year note yields, you can see clearly that they're basically unchanged on the week. But the further down the curve you go, you do see a little bit of a rise. 30 year bonds right now on that one week chart, they're up four basis points on the week. Now, I know it isn't a lot and they've been relatively contained. But do remember, the central bank is buying a whole lot less with regard to quantitative easing than they were just several weeks ago. That is a big deal. HYG, this ETF reflects the high yield investment camp. Look at this one week chart. It's up close to 3% this week. And on the dollar side, well, the dollar index is up a little bit today, and it's sort of held at 99 area. But as you look at a one-week chart, we are down three-quarters of a cent because it closed so strong last week. You know, these over 100 closes are rare over the last several-plus years. And finally, there's all the talk about China and supply chains, what's going on with Hong Kong, what's going on with Australia, the name-calling. Look at the dollar versus yuan. 
Right now, the dollar popped to the best levels in seven and a half months. Carl, back to you. Thank you very much. Take a quick break here. Uh, Watch for Thin Trade as we uh, get ready for this three-day weekend. We're back in just a moment. WTI is pulling back this morning, uh, still on track for its fourth straight week of gains for the first time since January. Brian Sullivan joins us to talk about the energy landscape. Uh, It's had a heck of a week, heck of a month, Brian. Uh, The question is, is this more supply at work or demand? Uh, Carl, I think it's a I think you hit it. Okay, I think it's a combination. And you referenced something earlier, which maybe tells the story. You talked about that TSA data showing 333,000 people going through the checkpoint. Yeah, way down, as you noted. But it's it's coming back, I think, faster than many in the market expected. Same way with driving data. We look at all these high frequency indicators, the Apple mobility data, the TSA pre-check stuff, all the driving data from TomTom. And what we're seeing is that people are on the roads more. They're flying a little more. Again, a long way to go. But jet fuel is about 35% of what we use our refined products on. Driving has come back to almost normal levels in major metropolitan areas, certainly around Houston and Atlanta. We're seeing major comebacks there as well. So I think we've got two sides to the story. Demand is coming back a little quicker maybe than the market expected. And supply is coming down perhaps a little quicker than the market expected. The U.S. probably off about one and a half to two million barrels a day in terms of supply right now, guys. So we, we literally flipped the script in 30 days. But let's be clear, $30 oil is not good news for anybody, but it's better than negative $30 oil, I would assume. Yeah, Brian, I'm, I was just going to jump in and say clearly 30 was around the low for the range, right, in early 2016. And I just wonder beyond supply and demand, the other factor which we've watched for the last couple of months is just the, the positioning issues and the, the blow up in the, in the futures uh, market in the last expiration had to just clean out anybody who just was a, you know, a non-physical or non, non-professional, non-interested uh, owner on the long side. I just wonder yeah. how that's all swinging things around, whether it's causing overshoots. Well, okay. Did you see the DTO this week, Mike? I, I missed it by a day, so shame on me. The DTO was a double inverse short sale ETN exchange traded note put on by Deutsche Bank. It was a Robin Hood favorite. It was on top 20 or whatever list of retail people buying this double short. The DTO imploded this week. It went away. It, it had what they call an acceleration, which is their technical term for basically it's, it's over. And it just stopped trading. I think it was on Tuesday or Wednesday. And if you owned it, you got wiped out. So the DTO is gone. We've talked a lot about market structure in some of these instruments, Mike. And that's kind of what we've been seeing is that USO, that other ETF that got all the attention, it used to hold 100% of that front month contract. They spread it out. I think that has helped calm the markets. But for those guys like in the DTO, you literally woke up one day and whatever you had in it was gone. It went down to zero and you got no notice. Brian, that's good insight. Maybe we'll talk later about what Biden said about Keystone uh, on Squawk this morning. Thanks. We'll talk to you soon. Take a quick break here on this Friday morning. Squawk on the Street continues in just a moment. Coming up later this morning, the CEO of Expedia. Lots to talk about when it comes to travel. In the meantime, steady, cautious trade on this Friday before a long weekend. You got the Dow basically unchanged. VIX right at 30. Back in just a moment. I think Amazon should start paying their taxes. 
Okay, I don't think any company, I don't give a damn how big they are. The Lord Almighty should absolutely be in a position where they pay no tax and make billions and billions and billions of dollars, number one. Number two, I think that companies should be in a position where they start paying their employees a decent wage and protect their employees. The former Vice President Don Squawker this morning talking about Amazon. David, there's been some discussion today about whether or not Amazon would be more in the crosshairs in a Biden or a Trump administration. Yeah, well, as you point out, of course, Amazon has been a focus of the Trump administration as well, given uh, Jeff Bezos, of course, the founder and CEO's ownership of The Washington Post which in its reporting oftentimes uh, takes issue with things going on in the Trump administration and is not a favorite at all of the president. That said, uh, it does appear that on either side of the aisle, they're going to take their share of, uh, of criticism at Amazon. It is not as though the company is breaking any laws, though, guys. It is simply always very aggressive in seeking out the best deals it possibly can, including the one that I certainly argue would have been a great one for New York City that didn't happen. Uh, it would have involved tax breaks there as well, Mike. But overall, the revenue contributed by Amazon and the jobs certainly would have been something that New York's floundering economy would probably have welcomed. No, exactly. I mean, and even just in its regular financials, it makes full use of, uh, of the tax code and basically accumulated losses in some years and, and heavy uh, capital spending and, and all the rest. It's effort really not to, to show tremendous bottom line profits. Uh, that's, the, that's the source of the, the near zero tax bill as opposed to some other activity. Hey, Mike, uh, thanks for keeping us company. I'll see you a little bit later on. Uh, Mike Santoli joining us right, for the 9 a.m. as Kramer's been out. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.